When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio. And I just want to say, and it's an honor and privilege to be able to talk about movies in front of a virtual water cooler. And for today's podcast, I'm going to be doing Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. I'm doing a non-spoiler review for that. I know I'm a little late to the party as far as going, doing a review for it. But a movie reviewer is never late, nor is he early. He arrives just as he means to. So I'm going to talk about that. Then The Mandalorian Chapter 8 season finale that got released on disney plus on friday i went on ahead and watched the season finale i want to give everybody a few minutes to catch up with the show or whatever before i went on ahead and did the review for that so there's gonna be a non-spoiler review for that then i'm gonna go into my favorite movies of 2019 and then last week a movie turned 20 years old and that movie is galaxy quest i'm gonna be talking about what made that movie special to me and about the cast, about the whole entire thing about Galaxy Quest, on what I love about that film. So, without further ado, let's go on ahead and get on with the show. So, as I mentioned before, I saw Rise of Skywalker. And if you actually wa- listen to my other podcast episode where my expectations were kind of lowered because of the stuff that I've heard about Rise of Skywalker, you'll notice that I wasn't that excited as to what I, where I was before. And, you know, I went into this movie with low expectations, just like I said I was going to do. And, yes, here's the thing. My predictions of what I wanted this movie to be didn't happen. Everything that I had implanted in my mind about why Palpatine's even in this movie is not there. And I'm going to be honest with you. Palpatine's just there just to be there. He doesn't really do anything to actually motivate the plot line or anything like that. All we know is he's back. And it also, and here's the other thing too is, he's actually maybe a clone or something. Either way it goes, it's back. And, you know, I had to take a step back. I'm like, okay, you didn't explain why he's back. You didn't explain that part to me. I'm happy that he's back. I'm happy that we actually had the villain from the original saga to close out this whole entire thing but it makes me wonder what what's your motivation besides the fact that you were the puppet master pulling the strings with ray and also to snoke and also pulling the strings with uh ben skywalker also kylo ren and here's my thoughts on and everything else i mean i thought they were actually going to go in through the whole entire clone thing because it would actually make more sense more fitting for snoke to actually be in there would actually give him better motivation than saying i'm the puppet master i'm the one who went on ahead and pulled the strings on kylo i'm the one who did this with ray and everything and instead it's not there it's just him just being there doesn't really do anything to motivate it and then Two, it actually touches on Ray's background, which I'm okay with him actually now explaining to what who 
and who Ray actually comes from and everything else. I like that aspect to it. And the humor in itself is a whole lot better than what we got from The Last Jedi. Another thing, too, is you can actually tell that J.J. Abrams was actually taking his paintbrush and be like, okay, I'm playing damage control here, so I'm just going to go on ahead, take my magic eraser, and erase everything that was in The Last Jedi. And that's exactly what was going on. He was taking the ma- his paintbrush and actually erasing everything that happened. I thought... The way J.J. closed out Carrie Fisher's character of Princess Leia was actually beautiful to the point where I actually had tears coming out of my eyes. It hit me with feels. Not only that, but even if you actually look at some of the other stuff that was in the Star Wars thing, Star Wars itself, and stuff like that, especially with 3-3PO and everything, not knowing if he was going to come back or not, and stuff like that, and then with Chewie and everything else, too, everything was just in front of my face and it some of it hit me with feel some of it left me with question marks on how and why they did this in this certain direction and another thing too is i didn't like i never liked rose's uh the character of rose i never really cared for the actual character her, herself i always felt like that her character was actually forced with finn and then she kind of sat on the sidelines while everybody else was doing going to war and everything in this movie and i'm okay with her being a side character because i thought that she would actually be better suited as a side character compared to going on another adventure of finn but as i mentioned in my whole in the blog that i typed out was the fact that you know they didn't explain everybody was thinking that they were actually going to explain that awkward kiss between finn and rose nope they pretty much said continuity schmottenuity i'm just gonna go on ahead and get rid of this because it was not fitting with that character so therefore jj went on ahead and erased that part of that film and i'm okay with that i'm okay with him actually taking the doing that with that character i actually thought that she was more fitting towards that and i actually didn't find her as annoying as i did with the last jedi and then you can actually tell that he actually wanted to redeem Luke's character, especially whenever he shows up in the movie and everything, and I actually thought that that was actually needed into the whole entire pers- uh, pro- perspective with that whole entire thing, because don't forget, I felt like Luke's character wasn't used in the right way that it needed to be used in, and Ryan Johnson just decided to make a whole entire fan-based movie instead of making a whole uh, instead of making a Star Wars movie itself to let it stand on its own thing, and. Like I said, Ryan Johnson, I like him as a director, but I just don't like his style of directing when it's going towards the Star Wars films. And especially with Rise of um, the Last Jedi. But Rise of Skywalker and everything, I had a lot of fun. I thought the humor was really good. It wasn't really forced. I really bought into the whole fact of where Rey is actually fighting her uh, light side and dark side. I love those two aspects. I am going to say this. They did make Ray kind of OP in this movie, but and I didn't feel any danger when it came towards Ray and Kylo at all. As far as the things that they made them do and everything, I didn't really feel like any type of danger or anything like that when it came to those characters at all. Because you want to actually feel some type of suspense. You want to actually feel like that there's some something's going to happen to these characters. And I don't really, I never really felt like on the edge of my seat waiting to see what was going to happen with Ray or anything like that because I felt like that she was safe and so was Kylo in a certain sense up until certain things happen or whatever but 
you know, I really wanted to have a little bit of a sense of danger as far as Ray goes, and I didn't feel it. I, that's just me. That's how I feel about it. I just never really felt a sense of danger when it came down to Ray's character in this film. I felt more, uh, m to be honest with you, I felt like in The Force Awakens, it was actually better, she was better used and everything because of the fact that, you know, you actually had her actually doing stuff and to make her feel like that she's actually in danger. And this one, I never really felt like that she was in danger or anything. But I have to say this, J.J. Abrams did a very good job playing damage control with this movie. And he had every move, every single thing served a purpose in this film. And another thing, too, is I wish that they would have, J.J. would have actually made Finn talk about what he wanted to say to Ray in this movie, but he never actually got to say it. And I'm like, okay, what did the guy have to say to Ray? And that left me with question marks because I wanted to actually know what Finn feels towards Ray. I actually wanted to know what he w wanted to say to her. And that left me with a question mark of, okay, why did you even bring that part up if you weren't going to go ahead and explain that later on? I understand the whole situation with the Rose and Finn character as far as the relationship and everything else goes there, but you also built some chemistry within the force awakens to for us to actually want to know what happens between ray and finn and the chemistry between them and you didn't even t touch on that at all and i wish they would have i'm hoping that there's like a deleted scene or something like that once the blu-ray comes out to where they can actually give us some insight on the commentary as far as that goes or give us a deleted scene that we haven't didn't get to see but as everything wraps up and everything it hits you with feels it hits you with the emotional attachment to the characters it actually feels like a star wars movie it actually feels like that they're on the right track with this saga ending and i love that and i wish that they would have actually put in kind of like what they gave with fast and the furious but although it wouldn't have felt like a star wars film if they just went on ahead and gave us a bunch of uh scenes from different movies if they did that with with star wars it would have actually felt just like another movie but i would have loved to actually see all those characters in different shots in or pictures going as the words are play, uh, as the credits are rolling and you can actually see each scene being played out from all the other movies but still overall i enjoyed the rise of skywalker even though i had low expectations i would even say that this would actually be a good movie to actually rent on on redbox or if you're a diehard a person like me and love star wars i would go ahead and check this out on on Blu-ray as well, because I really enjoyed it. Now I'm going to talk about The Mandalorian, uh, Chapter 8 review. This is, uh, this is actually the season finale that dropped on Disney Plus last Friday, and I'm just going to tell you this. Everything that was up to this point, I really loved. And there was, a, except for that one filler episode, but, man, the action sequences in this in this show is really fantastic. The stunt work is even better than what they did when the Mandalorian is trying to break out one of the prisoners in the ship and then he's trying to attack some droids and stuff like that. I didn't really feel like the stunt worked that well or anything like that, but the stunt work for this episode actually worked in its favor. It actually feels like a Star Wars show and I really loved how they actually closed this thing out to the to where you actually have Baby Yoda and everything and you're wondering if he's going to get Baby Yoda back. And then you're wondering what's going to happen with the Mandalorian. What's going to happen when with the um, when you have the whole entire Empire that wants to try and strike you down for having Baby Yoda. And 
then of course you have that one dro- dro- uh, droid that winds up doing a whole entire complete clean out of the Empire and everything in the show. Well, within within the first or second episode when we actually get introduced to Baby Yoda, you actually get to see that. And then his whole entire perspective actually changed because he actually got reprogrammed. And you're wondering if he's actually going to go back to just being another android bounty hunter again or if he's actually completely wiped out, his memory is completely wiped out to where he's just a nanny. And I have to say, Taika Waititi did a fantastic job directing this episode. And so did the the female director that actually directed the last episode as well, the episode before that one. She did a really good job. So those two directors actually did a fantastic job directing the Mandalorian uh, episodes. And I really am excited to see what they're going to actually do with the Mandalorian Season 2. Because I actually enjoy seeing the Mandalorian. And then also, too... Like I said before, but the stunt work, that was really good. There was some comedy elements into it that really felt like it needed to be there because you can't have a Star Wars TV show without a little bit of Star Wars humor to it. And I really thought that that they actually touched on everything that they needed to touch on. It actually wrapped up nicely. Then my other favorite part is what Lando. Lando actually played Adonis Adonis Creed's father in the Rocky movie. And then all of a sudden there was like a mention of Creed in that in that uh, part of the TV show, and I really loved what they did with that. So, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian or any of the se- of season one, I strongly recommend that you guys check it out. There's even people that I know that are not even Star Wars fans that are even watching the show and everything. So, I would strongly recommend that you guys actually check out The Mandalorian season one. I think that you guys would actually have a lot of fun with that. So, now I'm going to go in and talk about my favorite movies of 2019. First off, I want to talk about a little small independent movie that was only in select theaters at a small time. And I wanted to check it out, but I never got around to checking it out or anything. But I got a chance to watch it recently on Redbox. And I got to say, The Peanut Butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf is one of the best movies that I've seen him in since Fury. And I love Fury. But... Peanut Butter Falcon was just one of those movies where it was like uplifting. It actually gave you hope that this Down Syndrome kid who doesn't even belong in a nursing home that meets this stranger and the stranger is actually trying to help him pursue his dream of becoming a wrestler. And they're on their their journey to try and do what they want. They have to do to try and get him, get the Down Syndrome kid to be a wrestler. And I love that from point A to point B. Nothing really felt forced with this. You have Shia, Shia LaBeouf doing his thing, doing his acting and credibility. And I have to say, he's back on track. I really love what they actually did with Shia's character. Not only that, but Shia's even an outlaw in this movie too. So they're both on the run from their own things and their own battling their own issues. And they wind up, the bond between those two is just fantastic. And nothing I felt like was actually forced or anything. And you can actually feel like that they're actually best friends in this movie. And the chemistry just worked. It was fantastically well done, perfectly well executed. Everything that I loved about the Peanut Butter Falcon, it just has a lot of heart to it. And then you also have the guy from Wings in it, uh, in this movie too. And I really love seeing him back on the screen again. And what he did for the uh, guy who has Down Syndrome and everything was just beautifully well written. And like I said, and even Jake's the Snake's uh, cameo in this movie uh, and everything, I really felt like his cameo was kind of forced, but it was actually needed in in the movie itself. But still, 
it was really good for what for what this movie is. It was a small little small. It was just a small little independent project, and it was fantastically well written, perfectly well done. So, if you haven't seen the Peanut Butter Falcon, I strongly recommend that movie. Now, I'm ta- going to be talking about Joker. Joker was one of my movie, one of my favorite movies of, of October. And a matter of fact, I remember seeing photos of what Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was going to look like. I was taken back a little bit, but then it took me a little bit to also let it manner, uh, let it go on ahead and let it, um, sizzle a little bit. And then once I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm going to see this movie anyways, despite the look, despite everything. And I'm glad I did. This movie is just really great. Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker is one of the best performances that I've seen Joaquin Phoenix actually do besides Ladder 49 and Johnny Cash Walk the Line. And, you know, it also goes into mental health issues. It goes into, is he really in this mental institution? Is he really seeing things the way he actually sees them? Or are we locked in this mental institution and he's just having flashbacks of what he did before he was there. And what I liked about what Todd Phillips did, which is also the same director who did the Hangover movies, was the fact that he allows you to make up your own interpretation of what this movie is and how it ended. And I like it when directors actually allow you to actually use your imagination rather than saying, this is the ending, this is it right here. And that's that's all of it. I like the fact that we can actually use our imagination so that, okay, maybe this happened this way because of that. And then not only that, but this movie is very dark. And yes, I know it's a DC movie. But this movie is probably one of the best Red R comic books that I've seen in a while. And besides Deadpool, of course, but and Blade. But aside from that, the Joker is just one of those complex characters that doesn't really actually have an origin story to him. And it makes you wonder if this this guy who's saying that he's the Joker and everything is actually being locked up in his own head, thinking that he's actually this person and everything, and he's ins- and if he's insane. But anyways, Joker is actually one of my favorite movies of 2019. And then not only that, but once you get into the realization that this guy is wacko, and then. Also, too, of being pushed every single day. It wasn't just like, bam, he's the Joker. It's like step-by-step basis of him becoming the Joker that we all know from the comic books. Even though it's an Elseworld Joker, it actually works in its favor. It reminds me of a fallen down situation with Michael Douglas. And, you know, one day he just winds up snapping and then he winds up becoming what we all know. And finally, he just had enough after a week of actually being pushed to the limit to the point where he can't even do anything anymore. And I really enjoyed what he did with it. I really am glad that I actually checked out The Joker. So if you haven't seen The Joker, make sure you check that out. It's going to be dropping on Redbox next month. And then it's actually going to, I think it's January 16th is when the Blu-ray actually drops. I'm not 100% sure on that. But check out The Joker. I think you guys are going to like it. And then... My other favorite film of 2019 is actually Avengers Endgame. The way Kevin Feige and the rest of the cast ended up ending the whole entire phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was just beautifully well done, perfectly well perfectly well written and balanced out to the point where you can actually say that this was a perfectly well done universe 
and the continuity was there. All the chemistry actually worked itself out. And you're wondering how all these characters are actually going to be able to be in one movie and actually share the screen and have the right time, right screen time for each character. And I'm going to be honest with you. The way they actually gave each character their own thing was really good. The Russo brothers knows what it, what they need to do when it comes down to making comic book based movies in a shared universe. And even with Winter Soldier and the Avengers Endgame and then uh, of course you also have Infinity War. They know what they're doing and not only that I've always been the type of person that said you know what having two directors is actually a good thing. It's not too many chefs in the kitchen or anything like that because here's the thing I always feel like you know if you're putting a lot of pressure on one director to try and do something it's putting pressure on that director to the point where he's going to be victimed with the franchise, victimed with the film that he's doing and Therefore, he might not want to be even interested in even doing it. But he just wants to hurry up and get it over with. And having two directors on there, they can actually go on ahead and share the pressure. And one person can take the reins on one part. And then the other director can go on ahead and share the reins on another aspect of the film. So I like the fact that they were able to go on ahead and share each other's pressure and stuff like that. To where they can actually get this film done. But... As for the plot itself, where you actually had Danos who winded up wiping out half the population and wondering how these heroes are actually going to be able to come together to take Danos down. And then also, too, you know, even after the very beginning of it, whenever they go on ahead and take Danos down and you're still having characters that are suffering through the fact that they still miss their loved ones and stuff like that and... Nothing is actually done. And then Thor goes in through his own story arc of losing his uh, abs and everything else. The humor in this movie was good. The time travel was really good. Some people are going to complain about the whole Bucky situation and Falcon situation. Here's the thing. I like the ending for what it is. And everything. I'm perfectly fine with Falcon becoming the new Captain America. I'm perfectly fine with that. And you know what? I don't even care if I'm spoiling this right now because there's no excuse to why you haven't seen it because number one, it's on Disney+. Plus. Number two, you can rent that on Redbox. Number three, you can go out and buy this movie now. So therefore, spoilers, after a certain time and place, you are allowed to actually have some ground to where you can actually talk about this movie openly. And when Falcon became... Captain America, I'm fine with it, because if you think about it, Bucky came from Germany. Germany was actually part of the whole Nazi thing, and also Hydra, and I would actually feel like, you know, if it was Bucky that actually carried the shield, he would actually be uncomfortable with the fact that he ended up carrying the shield, because of all this stuff, all the damage that he's done between killing Tony, working for Hydra, working for the Germans, and stuff like that, I would think that he would actually feel uncomfortable carrying the shield, knowing the things that he's done. Even though his memory and everything else was pretty much wiped because of Hydra and everything, it was still the whole fact is he was doing those awful things and he has the realization that he has done those awful things. But still, it's the whole entire thing of his conscience uh, eating him away, knowing that he did it. So that's how I actually felt about it. And you know what? Like I said, I like the fact that they did that. And I'm glad that Steve actually got his happiness finally in this movie. 
and, and you know, it actually has some very good, well-grounded structure to the way that they wrapped everything up. And if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, I strongly recommend that you guys actually check it out and everything. And like I said, the spot, like I said, the time jumps and everything else, whenever they go in and everything in time, time travel to try and take down Thanos was really good. So check it out. Let me know what you guys think. So my other movie, which is highly underrated, which I have no idea why this movie's even underrated for it to be in 2019. I just feel like that they people just forgot this movie, especially when it was released in December. And I just don't get it. But anyways, I love the movie Shazam. Shazam was one of my favorite movies of 2019 because you have Zachary Levi in it. He's and he's actually supposed to play like a 13, 14 year old kid and everything. And you can actually believe that he's actually a 14 year old kid trapped in this body and the direction that Warner Brothers actually did with this movie. It could have actually backfired on Warner Brothers to the point where they're like, you know what? We're going to forget about the DCU universe. We're not going to focus on that anymore. We're not going to focus on any more DC films. Because nobody actually cares about this. But the whole entire thing is Shazam is one of those lovable, lighthearted characters. And not only that, but I also like the fact that they're using unknown villains in this in this movie and everything as well. And here's the thing, too, is the fact that because you don't know those underground villains, you can actually look them up and be like, oh, okay, that's who that is. We, okay, let me go in here and dig a little bit further. Opposed to having a villain that we already know and established, like Black Adam... And I like the fact that they didn't introduce Black Adam right away. And then you also have Billy, who's on the run trying to look for his mother because his, because his mother actually abandoned him and everything. And then you actually have this family that's trying to take care of him and everything, but he doesn't care. He just wants to be loved. He wants his mother back. He wants his biological mother back and everything. And he doesn't want anything else. He just wants to be loved. And that's what I love about that movie too and it's also on it takes place on christmas i'm not even going to say it's a christmas movie or anything like that but it's actually a really good movie as a whole and then to the kid who plays on stephen king's it chapter one and two he's in this movie as well the chemistry between the both of them is really good there's nothing bad i can say about shazam and everything i really have to say that i had a good time with shazam and you know, I'm not putting numbers by what my favorite movies are or anything like that. I'm not doing a top 10 list. I'm not doing a top 5 list. I'm just listing off of movies that I really loved. And Shazam is one of those movies. I even own this movie on Blu-ray and everything else. I've watched this movie just about almost all the time. So check that out if you haven't seen it. Another movie that was actually my anticipated movie... Uh, for this year, besides It Chapter 2, was another Stephen King movie, which was actually going to get a sequel to The Shining, and that movie is Doctor Sleep. It's actually part of Stanley Kubrick's uh, Shining, and it's also a sequel to The Shining book. And I might have actually spoiled a lot of things within my review that I've actually done, but... I'm just going to be flat out honest. Anything that you didn't like with The Shining, the movie itself, gets redeemed in The Shining. And the way that there is a lot of uh, Stanley Kubrick isms in this movie itself. But here's the thing. They touch on it a little bit and then they move along and they do something else in that whole and makes the uh, doctor sleep its own thing. And that's what I love about it is the fact that it is a sequel to The Shining, but 
they actually stray away from the original Shining and make Doctor Sleep its own thing rather than saying, well, do you remember what happened in The Shining and this happened here and this happened at this point and everything else and the guy who plays Danny did a really good job playing Danny. They actually gave him the story arc that Jack actually needed to have in the very first Shining um, movie and everything and I really felt like that they actually gave him a good story arc and everything from where he got from his lowest point in his life to uh, actually straying out his life and something that they didn't actually get to do with Jack at all whenever you actually read the book and also when you're when you actually read uh, Dr. Sleep and everything and even when you watch this movie it actually has a great story arc for Danny and a great redemption story as well and the way that they actually captured everything was just fantastically well done and I really love Dr. Sleep to the point where I'm actually wanting to go ahead and watch this movie again and rent this movie on Blu-ray. Matter of fact, they're actually going to give us a lot more content content and everything whenever the director's cut comes out. And I can't wait to see that. And then you're also wondering whenever they introduce this other character who has the shine and Danny actually has to go in and try and train her with her shine. And then you have this villain who's taking other people's shine and she's in danger. And then she's actually trying to find out how her powers actually work it's a fantastic movie it's perfectly well written it's everything is balanced out in its own way and Dodger Sleep was a really good fun time in the theater when I was watching it and I'm gonna watch this movie again on blu-ray because I really enjoy this a lot so, if you haven't seen Dodger Sleep, check it out. It's just a shame that this movie came out on Veterans Day holiday when 1917 came out because that was a bad time for this movie to actually come out. And I get the fact that The Shining didn't make a lot of money whenever that the very first movie actually came out. But the whole fact is you have a movie that's a Stephen King-based property and It Chapter 2 knocked it out of the box office and you have this movie and it didn't make Jack compared to compared to what we got with it chapter two or chapter one and it should have made more money it should have been released in the middle of october even though we already had a wb film already out in october which is joker but i think that it would have made more money more sense to actually have it out in the middle of october because of the fact that you didn't have anything else competing against it joker was getting ready to be taken down from the movie theaters and everything else because it's already made its run and it would have been a good time to actually see dr sleep so anyways that's my thoughts on Dr. Sleep. John Wick Chapter 3 is actually one of my other favorite movies for 2019. When you look at the first two John Wick films, these are just one of those movies that you can turn your brain off for a couple of hours, stuff your face with popcorn, and watch Keanu Reeves kill somebody with a book, a pencil, or whatever he has. And in Part 3, you have the whole entire city of New York, even though it's been a couple of hours since the second movie. And he's trying to survive everybody in New York City because everybody else is like an assassin who wants to kill John Wick. And now he it's up to him to try and survive the city. The way that they did the stunt work was really good. This movie actually makes you laugh as well with the dark humor. And I really love the dark humor in this movie in itself. I really have to say that they did a really good job with John Wick Chapter 3 because I really enjoyed the first film a lot, even though that had to do with him losing his dog. The second one was uh, him going after somebody else, and then that someone winds up backstabbing him afterwards, and that's what ha happened in the events of this one. 
But the John Wick series is just a fantastic watch. The stunt work, the way the camera actually works through the stunts is really good. And then not only that, but there's also like a little bit of a true lies kind of thing if you think about it too. Because you actually have him on the streets of New York on a horse shooting people. And it's very, it's like a very Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of thing to it. And that's what I loved about this movie. This is, if this movie took place in the 90s and everything, it would have still worked in its favor today. And it definitely has that cheesy flavor to it where you can actually believe Keanu Reeves is a, is an assassin who's taken down these mobsters and these hitmen so that he can survive. The chemistry between Holly Berry and Keanu Reeves actually worked. I was actually worried if it wasn't going to work or anything like that because Holly Berry's very hit and miss sometimes. And sometimes she's very good when it comes down to chemistry with other actors. Sometimes she isn't. But it was re- she did a really good job with that. And I really have to say, especially the part, scene with her dogs and, st- and things like that, I really have to say that she did a good job with, with her... Um, with the whole entire acting ability as far as playing that character because I thought she did a really good job with that. And now I'm moving down to Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw and everything, I'm going to be honest with you, when it comes down to spinoff movies or spinoff TV shows, I'm not really a fan of them. But what sold me was the trailer and the chemistry between The Rock and Jason Statham. And that's what sold me along, along for this ride. And... Ryan Reynolds plays a cameo. Kevin Hart plays a cameo in this movie. And not only that, but I love the fact that they were able to do things that they normally wouldn't be able to do in a Fast and the Furious movie. And it becomes their own movie. And that's what I love about it. I was hoping that it wouldn't be just like another Fast and the Furious type movie. It would just be The Rock and and Jason Statham doing their thing. And that's exactly what I got. And you can actually have the two comparisons of how Jason Statham is more of your sneaky, stealthy guy. And then you have The Rock, who's loud and doesn't care. And I loved how they were able to balance that out. And then, of course, the plot itself is is also cheesy as well. And this is, like I said, with John Wick Chapter 3, you can actually stuff your face with popcorn and enjoy a film without taking it serious. And that's what the Fast and the Furious films are. It's just cheesy popcorn-filled fun. And that's what I got with Hobbs and Shaw, especially whenever he goes, uh, The Rock goes on ahead and goes down to Hawaii with Jason Statham. And his mother's like, well, we got rid of the guns. And... (laughs) And instead, they're having to do it old school, taking down um, certain people with their old weapons and everything. So I actually enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw. It was a lot of fun. I was giddy through this movie. I really loved it. And I will even be, I'll even own up to the fact that I would actually like to see another Hobbs and Shaw movie over a Fast and the Furious movie any day. Because the characters really worked in this movie. The actors and actress, actresses did a really good job in this film. So I really have to say that they did a really good job with that. And, you know, if the chemistry didn't work between Jason Statham and The Rock, it would have fell flat fast. And the, and it actually works works out in its favor. Another movie which shouldn't be surprising to anyone is Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. I really enjoyed it despite a couple of plot, hole, plot holes and stuff like that. But that's with any movie and, and things like that. So... I'm not going to repeat myself on why I like Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, but I really enjoy that movie. So, 
Now I'm going to drop down to Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest actually turned 20 years old last Wednesday. And this movie starred Tim Allen, Ellen Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, and Sigourney Weaver. And basically, it's them... It's, if you think about it, Galaxy Quest is what represents us as geeks, as nerds. Because nobody in the early 90s was actually infatuated with geek culture. We would actually be looked down on the fact that we were nerds. And the fact is, with Galaxy Quest, it represented us as a as in the nerd community. And we can actually relate to these characters in certain ways. Not only that, but it was also one of those movies that actually reminded you of Star Trek. And you can actually, it actually hits home whenever you look at the cons and stuff like that. That they actually, where you have Tim Allen and the cast in, in this movie as well. And when, when you look at the con, and when I say con, I mean like, it's like a Star Trek convention. And that's what I liked about it was the fact that they actually incorporated some type of convention in this movie to represent us as nerds and our geeks and just be sweaty over those actors playing certain roles. And you can actually believe that Tim Allen is actually that character. And then not only that, but when they actually get beamed up to space and you have these space alien beings that actually thinks that these are actually real life space station people that can actually help them with their planet and everything and then they've realized to find out that they're only actors but then they start and here's the thing i love the motivation later on tim allen's snarky character who just doesn't give a crap about anybody but himself he winds up changing tony shalhoub's character is very charismatic and everything and stuff like that in this film too his character doesn't really change ellen rickman's character really doesn't change but what i liked about it was the fact you have these characters that are trying to work together again as a team and they're just not getting along and then all of a sudden this event happens to where they have to get along or else it's the end of the world type of thing kind of like what the avengers are and everything but it it's actually what represents geek culture during the time of 1999 and that's what i loved about that this thing is the fact that it actually represents us in a way that us nerds wanted to be represented and the fact that we can actually relate to these actors and everything because somebody's either snarky they're charismatic or anything like that and then you're also wondering too how are they able are going to be able to take down these aliens whenever they're just actors and then too they're also reenacting their scenes from certain episodes that they've done to where they can actually try and take down these aliens as well so that's why I love Galaxy Quest. That's why I think that Galaxy Quest today is probably one of the best movies that still defines geek culture in a way that hasn't been represented before on the big screen in the late 90s. And I'll still say that to this day that Tim Allen, Sorgoni Weaver, everything about this movie is still balanced out. Yeah, there's a lot of corny stuff in this movie. There's a lot of cheesy lines and bad dialogue but underneath it all there's actually a message in this movie and it also too you can actually feel the presence of these characters and how real they actually are to us because of who they are so if you guys haven't seen galaxy quest i strongly recommend that you guys actually check out galaxy quest it's it's a 20 year old film so i'm not sure where you can actually find it at but i think you guys will actually have a great time actually seeing it so 
that's going to do me, f that's going to be all for today. I'm actually going to have my anticipated movie list tomorrow along with my favorite movies of the decade. I'm actually going to be talking about that. It's New Year's Eve. I understand that everybody loves to party, but I figured, hey, everybody would love to actually have an episode to listen to on the road or wherever they might want to be at. So for New Year's Eve, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on ahead and make another podcast episode and everything. I'm thinking that you guys are actually going to love what I what I have planned for tomorrow. So, until next time. Bye-bye.